Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving is something that we do. It's a verbal noun. The verb is built right into it. We give thanks. And our country is the first one to do this, at least nationwide, to set aside a, a day of thanksgiving. And I think it's good for us to do that. I think it's cool that America leads in so many ways, and this is just one of those. I like that about us. Thomas Jefferson, by the way, was opposed to declaring a day of national thanksgiving. It wasn't that he didn't think we should do it. He just didn't think that the president, George Washington, had the right to do it. He thought it should have gone through the Congress. But it is important that we do it. We have so much to give thanks for. I mean, we really do. We are, as a nation, shockingly and uniquely prosperous. And at pretty much every level you can think of, even America's poor would be middle class, if not higher, in almost every other nation in the world. We historically have unprecedented levels of liberty to organize, to speak, to print, to argue. We generally have more freedom than what we know what to do with. And politically, this actually is a hamperage to our system. It is a huge problem because our population is so affluent and because we're so busy, we have so many things to do, we hardly know what's going on in the world, much less in our own community. Our micro-politics in most cities are, are pretty horrendous. Hardly anybody shows up to vote anymore, although we still complain. It's important for us to give thanks. First, it's important for us to give thanks because it leads us to acknowledge other people in our lives. We don't do everything for ourselves. Even when we have the ability to do things for ourselves, we generally don't. We just don't need to. We have families and friends and neighbors and countrymen and a whole world of, of people who are doing things for us, and they're doing things for us before we even know that we need them. A couple of years ago, I was in Nicaragua. This was like 10 years ago, and I was walking down the street, and I felt a little peaked. I was like, I, I could eat something. And so I bought a Washington Red Delicious apple from a street cart. Cost me like four bucks. It was really good. I didn't realize that Nicaraguans loved Washington apples. You just get them on the street down there, which is something you really can't do in America. But I thought it was very cool that they would make their way all the way down there. Think about how many people are, are, are involved in just the simple understanding of, of eating our daily bread. We have farmers and educators and scientists and bankers and bakers and millers and grocers and truck drivers and salesmen and employers, and I'm sure I left a whole bunch of people out, plus all of our, the people in our neighborhood who are working long hours in order to keep us safe so that we can eat our daily bread in peace. And for the most part, the system works extraordinarily well with hardly any work on our part. We're hardly independent. Giving thanks then helps us to recognize what our limits are. 
with all of those people doing all of those things, making all of these things and inventing new things and changing things and inventing new things. The world seems to be moving faster and faster and faster, and we do well just simply to keep up. It's easy for us to get carried away in our own abilities, though. I mean, I must say, we are amazing people. Can I get an amen? amen. We, we are. We are an amazing people, and we do amazing things for one another, but then there are limits. There are limits to what we can do for ourselves. There are limits for what we can do for those around us. There's a lot of stuff that's just simply beyond our control. I mean, most of you buy your own bread, right? Some of you might make your own bread. Making your own bread is fun. I'd do it if I could, but... For the most part, if you do make your own bread, you're probably going to buy most of your own ingredients. If you don't make all of your own ingredients, you're probably going to buy some of them unless you know how to ethically source yeast, which I don't even know if you have to ethically source. But all the other things of cultivation, you can't control the weather, you can't control disease, can't control the alligators. Even if you could control all of those things, you can't control photosynthesis or, or mitosis, and there's a number of other phenomenon which are involved in our existence, none of those things we can control. Which brings us to the third thanksgiving and things that it does for us, that it, it leads us to repentance. For you may, on this weekend, have the occasion to read or maybe hear George Washington's first thanksgiving proclamation at some point, and he invites the nation to give thanks unto God for our country's many, many blessings, including our democratic republic, but he also invites us to repent in the ways that we have fallen short. In the very first years, we already knew that we were falling short. That's the flip side of believing ourselves to be omnipotent. It's the crushing despair that comes with looking at our society and, and, and sort of seeing with our own eyes what we've become. The things that we have not done. The things that we have done. The massive amount of things that we have left undone. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We hurt those around us, and we know it needs to stop. We know that it needs to stop, but it doesn't stop. It's not going to stop. We won't stop because we can't stop because they're ignorant fools, and they need to know. Right? It is an undeniable truth. I hope that we all wrestle with it. We are not as we want to be. We're not there yet. We are not as courageous as we would like to be. We are not as wise as we would like to be. We are not as temperate as we would like to be. We do not love as if we would like to be loved. We do not believe in the way we would like to believe. We do not hope in the ways that we think we ought to hope. And we are all but convinced that we must absolutely, we must absolutely do something about it. And sometimes we're willing to pay quite a price to make that happen. It's a kind of, it's like this shrill militance in the air today that just reeks of desperation and fear. And it doesn't matter where you find yourselves on the political or the economic spectrum. Age doesn't matter. 
we are going to make people better. We're going to make them better. We're going to force them to build a world which we can truly be proud of and give thanks for. We're going to force people to be virtuous. We're going to make them be peaceful. We're going to make them love equity. We're going to force them to be wise and temperate. So help me, Jesus. And then we're going to glue all of our Teslas and our Priuses together. We're going to launch ourselves off into Mars. (laughs) To infinity and beyond. The gospel according to Pixar. The problem is, and we know the problem, is what we talked about it last week. This world is a grave, and there's no escape. Life is difficult. Sitting here in these bodies that are slowly getting worse. What have you truly been grateful for? What are you usually most grateful for? Normally, when we've said this, this spontaneous and sincere, oh, thank God, there's very few times, really, right? It's, it's when we thought we had cancer, and it turned out the test said no cancer, and we're like, oh, thanks be to God. When the banker said that our loan was approved. Maybe when we got that job just as the money was starting to run out. For many of us, our deepest and first experience with real gratefulness is a, a real expression of relief, not necessarily gratefulness. This is the day in the life of every parent. As we think the unthinkable horror as our children walk out the door, followed by the inexpressible relief when they finally walk back in. Call your mother. She worries. I don't know why. I think it just comes with the job. And you parents, this is why your children are terrified. They are. It's a terrifying world out there. We brought them into the world that is completely messed up. I think almost everybody agrees with it. It's getting worse by the generation. And yes, they're going to mess up just like we messed up, and they're just too young to know it yet. That still doesn't excuse us. Some of us are old enough to have found our soulmates, and we've had our children. We've found our hearts beating within the bodies of other people. Sometimes it leaves us a little heartless ourselves. But if you're sitting here tonight, I think you can understand my words, for you know two things that are for sure. You are not yet quite the person that you want to be, and you're going to die. And the hardest part about those two truths is the fact that you're probably going to die before you become the person you want to be. We've got a lot of older folks here tonight. And now most of you are still working on who you want to be. There is no surgeon who can sculpt you into being somebody else. There's no judge who can give you a certificate of righteousness that's going to make you perfect. There is no cheerleader who can affirm you into being anything other than what you are. This is a type A problem. We are a type A people who live in a type A society, and this congregation is no exception. And I know some of you are thinking about doubling down, and you're thinking about the argument you're going to make with me after the service is over. You're determined to prove me wrong. But you think about it. Think 
think about your life in your private thoughts, in your secret life, and you think about that and consider all of your thoughts and all of your desires, and you, you reflect upon your chronic and habitual sins, uh, sins and think really hard about it if you can, if you can stand it. Think about all the ways in which you persist in hurting yourself and those around you by the things you do and by the things you don't do. The harder you think about it, the bigger your list is going to be. And this is the strength of communion. I think it took me decades to understand that. Far longer than I'd like to admit on, on tape. It changed my life forever. For the better. Maybe not the best. Maybe not enough. I'm still trying to work on who I want to be. Martin Luther's last recorded words are, we are all beggars. You know what that means? That all the good in my life comes from someplace else. I am nobody special. I have no special abilities. I have no superpowers. I have no evolutionary advancement. I know it's hard for you to believe I am not an X-Man. I am just muddling through as best I can, usually. All of the good in our lives comes from outside of us. Think about that. The good in our life comes from outside of us. The world is broken. We are broken. So where does this goodness come from? I can tell you for certain it doesn't come out of us. It doesn't come out of my heart. It doesn't come out of my brain. It has never come from some government agency directing me to become more virtuous. It never comes from some self-discipline or a self-help book. It never comes, it has never come from somebody trying to bully me into being a better person. I'm not very good with that sort of thing. It has indeed, however, always come as a surprise, and a lot of times, in spite of my opposition, and it is the goodness of God. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God telling me, yes, indeed, you are broken, and you live in a broken world, and yet God refuses to be put off by our sins. that he has promised to continue to be our good and gracious Lord and come to us in word and sacrament to forgive our sins, to strengthen us for the facing of a new day of brokenness. Christ has said unto me and said unto you time and time and time again that he forgives me without any merit or worthiness in me. I can't think of a single time. I cannot think of a single time when I've confessed my sins unto my confessor and my confessor looked at me and went, come on now, now, Rich, that's not really a sin. Don't worry about that one. He's never said that to me. He's usually like, you're right, that was awful. It's probably even worse than what you think. You are truly sinful and unclean. And then he reminds me that Christ already knew that. And that he loves me anyway. We have a lot of military in our congregation. 
A lot of people have voluntarily put their lives on the line at various times within their lives. A lot of police and fire, first responders who put their lives on the line. Doctors and nurses who do the very same thing when the enemy is contagion and plague and disease. And there's, there's always this sort of reasonable expectation that our neighbors are somehow going to be worth it. <laughs> that they're worth the risk. That they're going to be appreciative. That they're going to deserve it. You see, Jesus has no expectations like that. He knows we don't deserve it. He knows we won't appreciate it. He knows we're not worth it. And yet he does it anyway. And then he goes one step further and he sends his Holy Spirit into our lives and he works through you and me through ordinary means in an ordinary life. Usually, completely, we're completely unaware to see this workings within other people's lives. We're so busy choking back our own vices and wrestling with our old atoms that we barely get through the day. But every so often, every so often, people will come and, they'll, and they do this to my life. And I hope they do it to yours as well. But every so often, people will come into my life and they will thank me for something I don't remember doing. They'll thank me for saying things I don't remember saying. And I'm usually like, you must be thinking about somebody else. And they're like, no, that was you. Like, sounds a little too good to be me. Are you sure you're thinking about it? It's in the back of my mind. I'm like, you got to be talking about somebody else. God works through us and very graciously, every once in a while, allows us to glimpse at what he's doing and his work as he is working through the lives of our neighbors and using us to do it. G.K. Chesterton says, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. For many years, I think I lived in my life as one of those, those nine lepers. Right? There were ten all together. One comes back and giving thanks. I think for a very long time in my life, I think I was one of those other nine. I just sort of went through life going, woohoo, I'm so glad that Jesus has healed me of my sins, and now I just go do whatever it is that I'm doing, just willy-nilly, not thinking anything about it. But at some point, I became a leper who knew and understood what it cost Jesus to forgive us of our sins. That it's his, his body and blood, broken and bloodied and battered. And I believe that that's the truth. That is that soul source springs generosity. When God intervenes in our lives and repentance becomes relief and relief becomes thanksgiving and thanksgiving becomes gratitude and gratitude becomes generosity and that generosity is the non-divine version of grace given to us and God giving Jesus into death for the forgiveness. I'm tempted to repay evil with evil, I think about that which Christ has done for me, and sometimes I find myself forgiving people for sins, sins that I otherwise may have held against them. 
And when I'm tempted to cry out that I've been taken advantage of, that I've been giving nothing in return, I think about our Lord upon the cross of how I have nothing on myself to exchange for the life that he has given unto me. And when I imagine that somebody owes me something, that I'm entitled to something greater than what I have, I hear Jesus telling me over and over that he is the only source of goodness in my life. It's ridiculous for me to go looking for that source of goodness someplace else when I can come and been invited to come to the font of where true goodness resides. Don't look anyplace else. Come unto me, you who are wearied and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why would you go anywhere else? With the strong, gracious, pierced, wounded hands of Jesus upon our shoulders, calming and assuring us of his goodness and that nothing, not even my own sinfulness, not even my own selfishness can stop that. That he is the only peace in the world. And I want to do what he wills. And the greatest heartache that we generally have then is that we never really fully figure it out. But yet God loves us anyway. He says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Come into his inherent word and he has never failed to meet me in the words of Scripture, when I go to him and ask for guidance and read his word, he is there every single time. He says to me, come unto the font, and there he is. He says, listen to him in the, in the absolution pronounced by the pastor as, as God himself speaks through his anointed men saying, I have forgiven you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those are God's words given unto you in grace and mercy and peace and joy where the angels and the archangels come together. He says, come unto me and I will give you my body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And he promises that, that in that he will grant us his Holy Spirit, that he will connect us to one another, but not just connect us with one another in this communion, that he connects us on the other side with the angels and the archangels and the heavenly host and those that have gone before us, that we are indeed the family of God through whom all goodness and mercy is given unto the world. And it flows from right here where God himself is present. It is the abundance of Lazarus. It is the milk and honey of the promised land. It is the loaves and the fishes. It is the never-ending bottle of oil and the flour. It is the life of the dying. It is the hope that mends every single broken thing of mind and body and soul the medicine of eternal life of God himself given to you because you are the children of God and he has called you and he loves you. In Jesus' name, amen.